0: Good morning. Uh, very glad that you're here this morning. Uh, this is a, a time of year that uh, most people really enjoy because we get out of the heat and you start to get a break from that and I don't know about you but I have really enjoyed the last week or so with the cooler temperatures and uh, but if it weren't for the hot temperatures we probably wouldn't appreciate the cooler temperatures so um, very thankful for God's wonder of changing the seasons and all that we get to experience here, and uh, just pray for his, his continued blessings upon each of us. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue with our series looking at I Am. Now, we started out, and, and uh, Michael gave us a lesson about that phrase, I Am, and that was a phrase that was known well to the Jews, and it was it was really to evoke the idea of being deity that you were god because the heavenly father used that in the old testament and they knew that and so when jesus would refer to himself as i am you really you're you're speaking about your eternality the fact that you have existed since the beginning of time and you'll exist to the end of time it's not you know like I am right now, but there was a time before when I wasn't. And there'll be a time beyond my life that I'll be no more. But Jesus and and the Father are both I am. They both exist, and they did exist at the beginning of time, and they'll exist at the end of time as well through eternity. So we had that lesson. We also, uh, Yancey talked about... uh, Jesus saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life, but the way, the single only way. Kyle talked about being, Jesus being I am the bread of life. Uh, Bruce talked about I am the vine, that we are the branches off that vine. Dusty talked about Jesus saying that I am the light of the world. And then last week, Jeremy talked to us about Jesus saying that I am the good shepherd. Uh, Today, as we got up here on the screen, we're going to talk about Jesus, the phrase that he used, that I am the door. Now, in some translations, that uh, translates as I am the gate, but we understand the idea of a door or a gate. it's, it's, It's something that controls access, and so... Uh, we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. But before we do, I want to talk about hero stories. You know, hero stories, there's been billions of dollars that have been made in Hollywood through putting together hero stories. And some of those stories are made up. They're just uh, they're fabrications, and they're a great story, and they sell. But they're not real. But we know there's a lot of those stories, those movies that come out of Hollywood or books that are written uh, that, that are based on real events. And we're inspired by hearing about some great hero that's done something that's really special. Now they may or may not have been a, a special individual outside of this particular event, but they were a hero in this environment. Uh, I'll just remind you of a few American heroes. Abraham Lincoln, a very famous U.S. president known for his uh, being a hero in the time of the Civil War and holding the nation together and ending slavery and those things. Uh, So he was a great hero and he's a hero to a lot of people today. Uh, Thomas Jefferson being another one that uh, was largely the writer of the Constitution or the, the Declaration of Independence. And, uh, and so he's, he's thought to be a hero by a lot of people. Uh, another one is George Washington, our first president. You know, we can think of some others that, uh, you know, you might know, people that are close to you that live uh, in your world that you would look at and you would think that, that's a hero for me. That person, I greatly admire them because they did something that was unique or special. So I just want to look and think about, uh, you know, in the Bible... In, uh, in the uh, Hebrews chapter 11 there's this chapter of faith and it describes all these biblical heroes these are heroes of the Old Testament now these weren't people necessarily of particular talents or gifts some of them perhaps were but mostly you know what they did they believed in God that when all human intuition would tell you don't do what you're about to do, but because they believed and they had faith in God, they went ahead and did that, and they're canonized forever ever in the, uh, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. We can think about David, you know, that was the youngest of that family, and he, he was chosen, and, uh, you know, he killed the giant, the Philistine that was, a, you know, Goliath that was unbeatable, and yet he went out there with a slingshot and five rocks and used one and killed the guy. Uh, remarkable but only by the hand of God was he able to do that so we look at these people as Bible heroes and you know that these things have characteristics first of all typically a hero will face a difficult or sometimes an impossible situation just uh, you just can't imagine how anybody could get through such a situation Uh, they're typically uniquely qualified to deal with it, although at the outset they may not seem that way. You know, Moses was chosen older in life, and uh, you would think, well, why would God choose this old guy that's 80 years old to stagger in and out of the wilderness to lead his people from captivity? That didn't make any sense unless you're God. And then it made perfect sense. They usually take an unpopular approach. They will they, not make a lot of enemies because they're doing things that, uh, that are not in the norm. Uh, the task that they're performing is critical. It's not just something that's trivial. This is something that is, it's a mission that's important. It's a mission that's critical. And oftentimes they face setbacks. You know, Most of us that have lived some number of years know that life is not linear, that there'll be good times and then there'll be hard times. And you may get up and you may try every day to do your best, but there are days that you just don't make a lot of progress. Well, it's no different from heroes. Heroes will have periods that they're successful and then they'll have setbacks. And and part of being a hero is to come back from that adversity. They become one with their mission. In other words, their mission becomes so important that that's really what they're about. Uh, They persevere through all these difficulties and setbacks they face until that goal or that mission is accomplished. And then finally, they may or may not survive. They may be a martyr for the mission, but they do something great in the achieving of that goal. So, you know, this is just thinking about heroes, and you might think of some other ideas that you'd put up, but... uh, This is kind of my characteristics of heroes. And so I want to go now to the text. And this is found in the Gospel of John in chapter 10. And I believe we're looking in beginning at about verse number 7. So Jesus again said unto them, Truly, truly. Okay, when he in the Old Testament or in the Old King James, the, the term that is used there is verily, verily. And when he invoked verily, verily, You know what that meant? That meant that not only is this a truth, it's an important truth. I want you to pay special attention to this because it's not only true, but it's an important truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. These is Jesus' words um, really in addressing the Pharisees. And we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, But I want to talk a minute about doors again. Doors control access. They really do two things. They control access and they provide protection. And really, those things are kind of the same thing. Um, you know, most of us keep our doors shut when we're not going in and out of them. And there's, there's climate reasons for that. We don't, obviously, if it's 100 degrees outside, we probably wouldn't leave the door open and let all the heat in. We want to keep the air conditioning. As my dad used to say, we're not, we're not air conditioning all outdoors, so keep the doors shut. Well, most people will keep the doors shut but also we do it for safety. You know at night, uh, I lock the doors. Do You lock your doors? I lock the doors because where we live, we live in a nice neighborhood and we haven't had a lot, of, but it's in a larger metro, metropolitan area and uh, you never know. And so we lock the doors. In fact, about uh, several months ago, I actually bought a new garage door opener Because I could set it to automatically close. Because, you know, Connie and I have lived in this house for about 20 years. And one thing I've noticed is about once or twice a year, we would forget to close the garage door at night. And you get up. Some of you are laughing because you probably experienced it. But you'll get up and you'll open up the door that leads out to the garage. And guess what? The door's been open all night long. And so you think, what could have happened? You know, someone could have come into the house and we'd have not even known it. They could have been upon us. And So it doesn't happen all the time, but the point is, is that doors control access and they provide security and protection. So let's go now, let's look at the story and I, I want to connect what Jesus said in John chapter 10, because he's talking about being the door. I am the door. So let's go back into chapter 9. And we'll remember that in, in John in John chapter 9, Jesus he comes across this man that was blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, and they say, Hey, is this guy blind because of his own sins or because of the sins of his parents? And Jesus said, Neither one he's blind that the, the glory of God can be revealed. And there's, there's work that I have to do with this person that the glory of God can be revealed. So um, Jesus, Jesus says that and he, he then he spits on the ground and he takes his hand and he kind of mixes up his spit with some, some mud or some dirt. And then he takes it and he wipes it on this man's eyes that's blind. And he says, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and I want you to wash it off. And the man did as Jesus said and when he came back he could see. For the first time in his life this man knew what sight was. And there were a lot of people around at the time. This was in the area of the temple there in Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of people in the area but a lot of people knew this blind man, and they begin to say, Hey, isn't that the guy that was blind, and now he's walking around, and he's getting around just fine? It's obvious he's not blind anymore. Others would say, No, he just looks like that guy. You know, that would be hard, be hard to believe. Is You've known this guy's been blind from birth nearest you can tell there's no cure for that and then you see this same guy that's walking around and he sees things and he touches things and he picks things up and he's doing things and acting very normally as if he has sight it would the first thought in your head was well that looks like that blind guy but it was the blind guy so they asked him and he said yes I've been blind since birth and he confirms that that's true so what do they do they take him this blind man the Jews take him to the Pharisees and they show him to the Pharisees and they recount what happened so here's what here's what the Pharisees say you got to love this some of the Pharisees said this man referring to Jesus is not of God he doesn't keep the Sabbath okay aren't you kind of missing the point I mean, this, was, this man was blind, and by some power, Jesus cured him from his blindness. And all you can come up with is, this is a guy's a sinner because he doesn't keep the Sabbath, because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. Now, there were others that kind of pointed out the obvious. They had a keen sense for the obvious because they said, but others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such th- signs and there was a division amongst them and so then after that then they call this guy's parents cuz they just they're trying to confirm is this is this a show so they bring the parents in and they have him they have the parents identify him and said is this your son and they the parents say yeah this is our son and they confirm that he's been blind since birth So then they ask us a, a second time, they call the man and, who had been blind, and they said to him, and this is the Pharisees, remember, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. So if you can't discredit the miracle, if you can't deny that that happened, then your next best bet is let's try to divorce the, the miracle from, from, from God, and let's give credit to God, and let's forget about this man Jesus not realizing that they're one and the same, or at least trying not to realize that they're one and the same. And he answered, now I love this guy, this, the, the blind man says this, and he answered, he said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. That's kind, of, that's kind of beyond him, me and not have any idea about him being a sinner or not. But one thing I do know, though I was blind, I now see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, you've got to love this. And he answered and said, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then this next statement is great, because it shows how naive this man was because he didn't realize that they were so much against Jesus. Why are you asking so much about this guy? Do you want to become his disciple? (laughs) You know, nothing could be farther from the truth. These Pharisees were threatened by Jesus and the last thing they wanted is to be one of Jesus' disciples. But this is the connection. And I want you to get this. This This is the connection between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10 because when Jesus starts this metaphor about the sheep and him being the door and him being the good shepherd, he's really talking about this. He's really talking about their response because what they say to him, they revile this man. They says, you are Jesus' disciple. But we are the disciples of Moses. And so when we get to chapter 10, you're going to see that he's going to respond to that. Truly, truly, I say unto you, who, do, who does not enter the, the sheepfold by the door but climbs up another way? That man is a thief and a robber. I believe that that is an allusion to the Pharisees. That they were the thieves and the robbers that he was alluding to. But he who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper, and I believe this is a reference to the father, uh, opens. The sheep hear his voice, and they call, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So I want you to look at that picture. You know, I, I, I said last week during our application service uh, that sometimes Jesus would be two different things in the same metaphor. And so he, he describes himself as the good shepherd in this story, but he also describes himself as the door. That's how he could be both. Because they would build these pens with an opening, and that opening would be a gate, and the shepherd would stand or sit at that gate and sleep at that gate. So the sheep wouldn't get out. They wouldn't go astray. They would stay in that pen So he could be both shepherd and door. So when the Pharisees heard this figure of speech, this story about the shepherd and the sheep and all of that, notice what it says here. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They didn't understand it. I would say it's probably a good thing because they wouldn't have liked the message. You know, the, you know what the message said? Remember what they said? is, We're not his disciple. We're a disciple of Moses. What his response is, is that the only way to get access to the Father is through me. That's it. That's the only way. That's the only avenue that was available. And to them... The only way to get to the Father would have been through the priest and through their teaching. And so you had to listen to the Pharisees and you had to go to the priest, which at, at the time they still were operating under the old dispensation. So the part about the priest was correct at least in the moment. But that was changing. So Jesus again verily said unto them, "Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep." All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I, again, they didn't understand it, but what he was really saying is that's you. That's you. You're the ones that are in the imposters, that are pretending to have access to the Father, but only jesus did so again looking at our characteristics of a hero having to face a difficult or impossible situation man is a sinful creature god is a perfect being and so how do we take these two beings that are so diametrically opposed and have them have any kind of relationship at all. The impossible task was that Jesus had to come and put this back together, had to create some kind of event such that a holy God that can't stand in the presence of sin could stand in our presence though we're sinful. How can that happen? So the, 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 the challenge that he faced was impossible. They have to be uniquely suited. Who could live a perfect life but God himself that would come to to earth in the form of man? Who who could be perfect except him? But you notice it it doesn't always appear that way because Jesus was born of Nazareth. You know there's a saying, what good thing comes out of Nazareth? it wasn't known it doesn't appear this guy was a carpenter doesn't it make more sense that god would have chosen a pharisee no not in god's thinking god chose someone that was uniquely suited but it may not appear that it wouldn't appear that way and jesus was very popular and he was very unpopular because he was changing the world. This movement was about a complete change in the relationship between man and, the, and their creator, and our creator. And so he was horribly unpopular with those people who already considered themselves to be in that role. His task was critical. It wasn't critical to him so much, but it's critical to you And it's critical to me because without that, you and I would be wasting our time today. There'd be no point in us being here, and there'd be no hope beyond this life. He faced a lot of setbacks. He dealt with a lot of adversity. Uh, He was one with this mission. He said he and the Father were one. And he was one with his mission of uniting God, the, the Father, and his creation. And he persevered until the mission was accomplished. And then this is the interesting one, that uh, he may or may not survive. And the answer is yes, both. He went to the cross and died for our sins and yet rose again the third day that we could have eternal life just like he. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, so we were before God as sinners, but now we stand before him as justified. He looks at us as if we are clean. He looks at us as if we are sinless because of Jesus and because of our faith in Jesus. And because of that, we have peace with God. You ever had a a situation with either family or friend or somebody where you had this estranged relationship, this contention between you and somebody else and maybe it, it lasted over a period of time. And really there was no peace in that relationship until someone put it back together. Maybe you, maybe you went hat in hand and asked for forgiveness or maybe they did or something, or maybe you're still estranged. But that was our relationship with the Father Until Jesus came. And now, because of that, we can have peace with God through Jesus. And through Him, that is Jesus, we have obtained, there's that word again, obtained access into His grace. So God can look at me, a sinner, and all the horrible and rotten things that I've said and done and thought, He can look at me as being justified. It's really remarkable. Access to God was only through the door. And Jesus was that door. You know, in the old dispensation, there was, a, uh, there was a high priest. Actually, the Jews regularly had to offer sacrifices for the sins that they committed. But there was a, a day, it was, it was the 10th day of the 7th month. It's actually going to be on Tuesday. It's called Yom Kippur. The Jews still celebrate this, and it's the most—it's the most sacred day of their of their calendar year. Now, the Passover is a big deal because they're celebrating their uh, their they're being delivered from Egyptian slavery on the Passover. But Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, was the day that they celebrate the fact that they were right with God. And they, But the, here's the thing about that is, you know, they had to do that every year. That on, the day, on this, this day, the high priest would have to, there's various sacrifices they had to do. But even though they had all these sacrifices they did through the year, on this particular day, the high priest would go in to the, to the most holy place, which is, so God existed with them inside of this, inside of the veil. It was the, not the holy, the, the holy place, but the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, and God's presence was there. And so on, the, on this day, once a year, the high priest would go in, and he would offer sacrifices for the people. Because there's a remembrance of those sins every year. And it made them right with God for one year. Until the next year rolled around, they had to do it again. You notice the, the veil over there, the temple. It's torn from the top to the bottom. When Jesus Christ died, that's exactly what happened. Is That veil in the temple was rent in two not the way that you and I would tear it. If we were to tear something like that, we would begin at the bottom and we would cut up. But this was torn from the top. God did that. And he was signifying the fact that finally, through the death of Jesus, there was a way for man to have access to him like never before. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says this in verse number 7, but into the second part, that is the holiest of holies, the high priest went once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. They didn't know to offer sacrifice because they'd done him in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing In other words, true access to the Father could not be made through all the blood of these bulls and goats and all this that they had done under the old law. These things were only a shadow of Jesus that would come. And then he says in, in chapter 10 and verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness. Okay, this is again talking about Jesus. Having boldness. And I want, you to, I want to stop there because I, one thing I left out about the high priest is when he came in, he was anything but bold. He was standing in the presence of God, and if he made one mistake, he, could, he would die right there. If he did something wrong, that God would strike him dead right there. They even had a rope that would tie to it. The, the Jews would tie a rope to the high priest ankle so that if in the event that he made a mistake and God struck him dead right there inside of the holiest of holies they could pull him out because no one else could go in there can you imagine the fear it was a it was an exhausting fearful time for that high priest here's what here's what he says about Jesus therefore brethren having boldness to enter into the holiest place so Jesus could go with boldness before the Father because of what he did. By a new, and that word new, that's the only place in the New Testament that that word new appears. And it means freshly slain. He was both freshly slain and yet living. A new and a living way. He died and he arose which he consecrated through us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Through his, The veil was his body. You're members of the body of Christ if you're a Christian and that's how we get access to the Father is through that veil. So again we talked about protection and Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So you'll have this You'll have this relationship where the shepherd is looking over you and you're protected. In verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. There's nothing There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, except us. Except us. You see, if we're one of his sheep and we follow him, we can't be lost unless we cease to follow him anymore. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So a Christian that stops following him, no longer his sheep. He's got no control over that. But to those that stay, He will give them eternal life. And there's nothing that can rob you of that, of that uh, goal or that happy event. So this is a picture from the latest hurricane, Hurricane Ian, that hit Florida this past week. And you know, there were a lot. They did, had all these mandatory evacuation orders. Um, And, you know, what they like to do, the news will go in. They'll interview people who have not left, but they'll have survived it. And almost always they say, yeah, you know, we should have left. But there's a lot of people that no doubt didn't heed the warning, and they died. There's no doubt that there were people that waited there, and they, they got the evacuation order, They had the ability to leave. They chose not to leave. They were stubborn, and they said, No, this is my property. I'm staying with it. And that's all well and good until that water level starts to get up, and you realize that the water is so high that it's covering your whole house. And the winds are blowing so hard that you can't get up on the roof because it'll blow you off, and then you'll be in the water again, and it just would do you no good. And there's no doubt that there were people that died Because of that that stubborn attitude. And what a horrible thing it would be to have the thought is, you know, if I just would have listened, I could have got away. It would be more horrible to not be one of Jesus' sheep. It would be more horrible. At least this is just your life, this would be your soul. If you're not, if you don't have access to Jesus, If you don't have access to to Jesus, you don't have access to the Creator, to your Creator, the, the, the One who created you and desires to have a relationship with you for some reason that we'll never understand. But He does, and we're thankful for that. And because of that, we have an opportunity through the door to follow and to be saved. This morning, if you're not one of His sheep, You need to think about that long and hard. You need it's it's something it's a step that you need to take because you cannot access. That's exactly what he was at. What what the blind man was saying? Do you want to become his disciple? That's that was. I'll close with those words. Do you want to become his disciple? All of us have to answer that question sometime in our life. Those that answer it yes will be His sheep and will have eternal life. Those that choose to reject it, you might be a wonderful person. You might be doing great things for your family and others in the community. But if you don't have access to Jesus, at the end, it's not going to help you. We're going to offer a song of invitation. If the church can assist you in any way, then we would ask you to come as we stand and sing together.